didn't see you there. Would you guys like to set sail on this ocean of flavor with me? I'll be your captain. I'm Steve Harrington. And I'm Colin. And I'm Whitney. And you are listening to Scoops Ahoy, a Stranger Things podcast, where we go week by week, chapter by chapter, recapping each episode of Stranger Things. And we are on season one, episode five, the flea and the acrobat. So Colin will give us a little summary of the episode and then we'll dive into some trivia and then some fun segments where Colin quizzes me I quiz Colin we talk about Colin's life in the 80s and things such as that so without further ado here's Colin with your summary chapter five of season one titled the flea and the acrobat debuted on Netflix on July 15th 2016 it was directed by the Duffer brothers and written by Allison Tatlock It has a runtime of 53 minutes and 17 seconds. We pick up right where we left off, late on the night of Thursday, November 10th, after Hopper used his bolt cutters to break into the lab. Once inside, he shrugs off some biohazard signage and causes minor mayhem before finally tripping on Eleven's old room and then making it all the way to the rift where he's knocked unconscious by an agent. Meanwhile, Lonnie is trying and failing to console Joyce on the eve of Will's funeral, and the boys, via Eleven, finally give a name to the alternate universe where Will is hiding. We have the Upside Down. The next morning, Friday, November 11th, everyone shows up for Will's funeral. Well, except for Hop. More on him in a second. Little Jennifer Hayes is crying, and Joyce is flashing back to when Will was drawing pictures of wizards shooting cabbage fireballs at bad guys. When the funeral's over, Nancy and Jonathan plot to go out and do a little monster hunting, so Jonathan grabs Lonnie's gun from the glove compartment, and off they go. As for Hopper, he wakes up all sweaty back at home sweet home and immediately goes on the hunt for surveillance bugs until he finally finds one. The deputies then show up to tell the chief that Hunters Dale and Henry have gone missing and that the Stadies found Barb's car at the bus station. Later, Hopper calls his ex-wife just to hear her voice, but instead hears a baby crying in the background. She's moved on. At Hawkins Middle, a lab guy masquerading as a Hawkins power and light worker investigates the blown up Heathkit ham shack, while Mr. Clark is fielding questions from the boys after the funeral and trying to explain the concept of a multi-dimensional time hoppy electromagnetic-y science-y thing. The end result is the kids are convinced the gate to the upside down would make the Earth's magnetic fields go haywire, so they grab their compasses and hit the trails. While there are none too subtly paying homage to Stand By Me, Elle has a flashback to a time she was put in a sensory deprivation tank and made to eavesdrop on a Russian spy. She snaps out of it and wants them all to turn back. When Mike refuses, she messes with their compasses. At the junkyard, Lucas figures it out, gets really snippy, and goes after Mike. Eleven mind throws Luke across the yard, and when he comes to, he storms off in a huff. Elle is gone too. After Joyce figures out that Lonnie was planning to sue the quarry for Will's death and that he's just in it for the money, she kicks him out. Later, Hopper stops by to tell her that he's been bugged, Will's body was indeed a fake, and that he now believes her. Meanwhile, Nancy, having turned down apologetic Steve's offer to go see All the Right Moves, has met up with Jonathan for target practice. She's a crack shot, and he's god-awful. They then head out for monster hunting times and find a wounded deer, which gets sucked into a tree. Nancy investigates and finds a portal to the Upside Down where she sees the Demogorgon chowing down on fresh venison tartare. The monster sees her and chases after her, while back in the real world, Jonathan can hear her screams but can't find her. Meanwhile, the portal in the tree behind him is slowly closing up. The end of Chapter 5. Can I just say that the more we go into this show, the more I love Hopper. I feel like he really comes into his character 
a lot more or maybe not him coming into his character but maybe we just see more of it but i I think i mean the character is certainly developed more yes and and, you know if you think back to when we met him again he was kind of sprawled on the couch with Mm -hmm. beer cans and the poker chips and we're like who is this guy you know way back way back when we had never seen it before i i love how he is he's got the funny quips almost Mm -hmm. like he's it's just such a typical 80s badass for lack of a better term you know he he just like in the last episode when he can't remember the security guard's name and he's like you know i was sent by and then he just pops him in the face (laughs) he's like okay i'm just gonna have to knock this guy out yeah and he kind of does it in this one too when he's trying to get you know to figure out what's going on in this lab yeah, I think all the characters are just so well drawn, and that's that's a big part of this. I mean, everybody's multidimensional. I mean, nobody's just a bad guy. I mean, except for Troy. You know, nobody is just a bad guy or right. just a good guy. Everybody has, you know, you know, character flaws, and they have good moments and they have bad moments and stuff like that. I mean, I, I love the bit where he just shrugs off the biohazard sign, just the look on his face, and he he like sees the sign and he's like, "Oh well, here uh-huh. we go." Which actually led me to ask everybody that goes into the upside down that's authorized to go into the upside down wears these biohazard suits so do we think that the upside down potentially causes some kind of lung damage because they all have these breathing mechanisms you know to give them oxygen and whatnot i don't know if it's just precautionary like i don't know if i'd be wandering in there without no but it just made me wonder if maybe Brenner knows, maybe they just are so unfamiliar with it. They don't know what this is. So they're just, you know, it's similar to outer space. I I don't know how many people have gone in yet. Mm -hmm. No. I mean, if, if Shepard is the first one, you know, like in the last episode or somebody has already, you know, gone in, but I mean, obviously when, when Barb was, when we see Barb at the beginning of episode three, I mean, she's not having trouble breathing. She looks like crap, but you know, she's not like her skin isn't melting. Right. I just thought long-term effects. Yeah. (laughs) Could could be, could be. Uh, The Duffer brothers actually said this was their favorite opening sequence, uh, opening segment of the series. The um, well, at the time they were interviewed. So probably of season one, just the back and forth between Hopper and mm-hmm. then there was the scene with Joyce and Lonnie and then the kids and then back to Hopper and then back to Mike and then Hopper. They, I, you know, it's just, it was a. I actually questioned whether or not I felt as if the Lonnie storyline was even needed. It almost feels a little tacked on. I guess we have to see why Joyce isn't getting any sort of support from her ex or from Will's dad, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. But I, also, I also noticed she hasn't changed her clothes since Monday night. Oh my gosh. She I just, just, I just like, I was just watching this week and I'm like, she's still, I mean, she gets changed for the funeral, obviously, but she mm-hmm. was still in the brown kind of corduroy pants and that striped brown shirt and like the hoodie kind of thing. Yeah. So then I went back and looked in the episodes and she was, Monday night was when she put those on for the first time. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, oh. and all day Thursday, she was in those clothes. Friend, so, take a yeah. shower. So at the beginning of that scene, and it's really quick, uh, the scene right at the beginning with Lonnie and Joyce, we see it opens on the television and it's got like what looks like a bullet hole in the television. Yes. What's that all about? Did I... I- I don't know. I, again, I don't know if this is their attempt to show that 
Will does live in a rougher part of town or, you know, maybe they aren't as fortunate as some of his friends. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, I had two thoughts and I didn't, I mean, one was, it was like, cause the last thing we saw was the monster coming through the wall and she mm-hmm. goes running. And so maybe it was like the monster kind of grabbed it and his claw made the, or Joyce was maybe shooting at the monster when it came through, but I, I thought she just like kind of ran, ran. I don't think she would. She definitely did. And yeah, I so. made, and I definitely think that if, if she had shot at it, that would have been something we saw. It, yeah, it was, it was, it was strange. Know, I went on Reddit and looked and, and, you know, there are like a couple theories out there, but nobody's like, yeah, well, definitely. duh, it's when the, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, it was kind of strange. So we finally get the upside down named. Yes. Or the Veil of Shadows, which mm-hmm. was, which was, it's not a real Dungeons and Dragons thing. I found it was, it oh, was made really? up. Yeah, they made it up um, to make it look like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's not a real huh. Dungeons and Dragons thing. They are the Veil of Shadows. It cracks me up that Mr. Clark is just all in on the yeah. Dungeons and Dragons references. <laughs> he clearly <laughs> plays on the side. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So gonna... you know that when Hopper wakes up after he's been, you know, in the first segment, he gets the injection yeah to the neck and then he wakes yeah. up he's extremely sweaty yes he wakes up he's like a heavy sleeper i guess yeah. i don't know but it grosses me out as much as i love him that part grosses me out but if that happened to you would you immediately hop up and think i need to go check for list like bugs i guess i don't know if there's another word for him but you know if you're well, having gone by. having gone through this myself i can tell you that definitively <laughs> <laughs> uh no but i th- he's been suspicious since um what was it was it chapter three when they walk out of the place and he's like i don't know what it wasn't on. raining but they're lying yeah yes yeah it wasn't raining on the footage. so he's been suspicious for a couple of I days know, now i and i don't know if you chalk this up to my naivety or is that how you say that naivety naivete naivete i don't know if you can chalk it up to that but i would never think holy crap i wonder if my house is bugged well, you probably wouldn't i mean but he is he is in law enforcement and right maybe, maybe there's that aspect to it i don't know this is just further proof i couldn't survive in situations like this <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true absolutely <laughs> it's definitely true uh did you know that there was an article this week about it was actually was it was an article about david harbour on the show hot ones and he was discussing season one and there was one other actor that he hated so much and i immediately it's a clickbait title because i'm immediately like who did he hate and he hated chester the dog and because chester kept yeah, screwing up i could see that takes chester's so sad when he sits on will's bed so backing up to Lonnie real quick, just mm-hmm. just a real quick thing. When he's talking um, to Jonathan in the room and he's like, take down that Evil Dead poster. It's inappropriate. What's that all about? I took it as your brother's dead. You don't need something. Eh, okay. Or maybe your brother's dead and your mom thinks he's still alive or maybe came back to life. Yeah, like, take I it down. I agree. It was a no. I know you do. Yeah, yeah. To make because I even have it in my notes, and it's Evil Dead poster question inappropriate question mark. That's yeah. That's exactly what I had. I'm like, what? But okay. Well, and who is Lonnie to come in handing out parental advice? You haven't been here for 
however long. Yeah, and then, here, he, then he, he gets all over Joyce with the Christmas lights saying, how long are you going to keep these Christmas lights up? Completely forgetting that it's like a month and a half until Christmas. I mean, so and why also, wouldn't she? You don't <laughs> live she here. Have, it's not like it's April. Yeah. yeah. And you don't live here, Lonnie. Exactly. Let her have her Christmas lights yeah. up if she yeah. wants them. That was really neat, though, in that scene where he's nailing the thing up and, and he's nailing and nailing and nailing. And it's the transition to um, them punching the pencil through the paper. Mike pen- punches yes. the pencil through the paper. So it's nail, 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 punch. And then you still have the nail sound uh, mm-hmm. overlap the scene. I thought that was that was really neat. So so I have a question for you. If question the, away. If the upside down is a parallel universe, why does Brenner need this? to spy on the russians do you think he didn't know that they were accessing a parallel universe no 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 yeah i don't think yeah i don't okay i think the upside down was a mistake i think this entire time i thought they my head in my head they were trying to access the upside down in hopes that they can somehow utilize these creatures Ah, no, I think, I think they were, he was just doing the telekinetic stuff. He found okay. crazy, crazy weirdo freak telekinetic girl and said, Ooh, let's use her to spy on the Russians. And while they were doing it, 11 accidentally kind of opened, opened the rift up. And he, he does say when, when 11 is spying on the Russians and then you hear the, the weird purr the growl yeah yeah. or whatever it is of the demogorgon someone says what the hell was that and he says i don't know yeah yeah and i think i think that was kind of an accident yeah okay i mean that's my take anyway so that was my big i just started thinking about it because i guess and as many times as i watched as i watched this i guess i always thought their goal was to reach the upside down but maybe yeah i think i think it was just 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 spying on the Russians. And that was, I mean, that was kind of a neat scene. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when w- this is, this was our first time seeing, and I don't know what, what we actually call it, the black room or the black void. Cause it's not really, I mean, it's kind of the upside down, but it's kind of, it's not, it's not the same upside down that Nancy is in at the end of the episode or where Barb was, but it's just kind of like the, the black, the black room or whatever. Yeah. So I was reading in the book, notes from the upside down the unofficial guide to stranger things it said the other visual element in this episode is the featureless black space 11 finds herself in when astral traveling yeah okay and it's similar to the weird elsewhere that scarlett johansson lures men into in 2013's under the skin which i've never seen that movie but i know enough about it to I think that part was featured in the trailer, maybe. Yeah. And she's be. an alien. But yeah, I, I, I mean, the, uh, the aspect ratio starts shrinking a little bit when, when Elle's in the deprivation tank. I thought that mm-hmm. was, that was, that was really neat. Um, and then in the, um, the world's turned upside down book, um, Tim Ives was talking about how he shot everything in the tank. And he, he said, you know, we used haze and smoke in order to catch light, which is something that was done a lot back in the 1980s. I wanted the water tank to pop. We had underwater lighting in there, and that's the main source of light. Sterile environments tend to be sometimes very bright, but I definitely wanted to keep it mysterious and dark in there, too. Um, Millie had an earpiece on, and the guys, because there's no dialogue in that moment, the guys were talking to her while she was underwater, directing her. See, he means the Duffer brothers, Mm -hmm. directing her and saying, 
give us a sign if you need to come up or anything. This is Dan Cohen talking now, the executive producer. And it was a very unique way of capturing that moment. And that set was so cool. That was the moment when I remember fondly, think of fondly on this show, because if you step back and look at it, this is a really wild scene that we're shooting. This kid was born out of a lab and it's basically in the water with the helmet was helmet on. And it was so really you're magical. talking about when she's physically in the right water. Right before she goes in, when she goes, yeah, when she's okay. in the tank. And then as she's starting to go into the black space, the aspect ratio mm-hmm. starts shrinking on the on the screen, which is really kind of neat. And I have no idea how the effects were done or if she really was in this area, this, the astral space, I guess yeah. we'll call it. She is traipsing through water. Right. And it's, it's like just, an inch of water on the floor. Yeah. It's just very unique how it looks and how the light reflects off of it and everything else is pitch black. Right. And it really, and it does pop. Right. And then she has that scene with the Russian, which was, which mm-hmm. was kind of neat. So that got my brain thinking. So then I'm like scouring the internet looking for the Russian translation. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I found it uh, on Reddit, obviously. And so the Russian guy is saying, The rumors started to circulate that American government singled out several of our spies on the American land. We are checking that, but it was probably a premeditated information that drew us away from more important things. Contact Sergei, Evgeny, and Anatoly. Clear up who contacted them. And if somebody didn't answer, report to me me immediately. Although, no, bring Sergei to me right now. He was on the job when these rumors appeared. I need to know where these rumors came from. If it's not misinformation. Although I'm convinced of that. Go. What are you waiting for? Hurry up. I need to know where the rumors came from. So that's what the Russian spy is saying when. That is so funny. I've never thought to go look that up. But as soon as you started talking, I was thinking someone should really translate what the Russians were saying. (laughs) See, there you go. (laughs) There you go. How about that? All right. So let's back up to the funeral because that was was kind of fun. And I found a a neat little story um, about that. Little Jennifer Hayes, um, the girl who was crying at the funeral, um, I actually found an article from the actress's hometown newspaper, the Gaston Gazette um, from Gastonia, North Carolina. Um, They interviewed her when she was cast on the show. Um, She was an 11-year-old rising sixth grader at Cramerton Middle School in Gastonia, North Carolina, And the article says that Kaylee Glover plays Jennifer Hayes, a popular girl at the school who appears in one of the eight episodes. If the show gets renewed, Glover says she'll have a bigger role going forward. Oops. (laughs) Well, I have a question then. Are you done? Are you doing it? And then then she says it was a really good experience. I didn't want to do TV at first, but when I did that role, it made me excited to know that I was a part of something. It was really cool. Crying on demand, she said, was a requirement for landing the gig because that is actually all she did. So, and we never see her again. So, okay. Well, then this answers my question because, and this is a minor, it's nothing big, but it's, it, this is something that happens in season two. There's a dance and there is someone, it's Dustin, I believe, that mm-hmm. asks a girl to dance and she turns him down. Right. And I think I had it in my head that that was Jennifer Hayes. But as soon as you said where she's from, that's not correct because that actress is actually from Lexington, Kentucky, where I'm at. The because... dark haired girl at the dance is from yes. Kentucky. Yeah, because Kaylee Glover, the who played Jennifer Hayes, is blonde. Yes. So, so it's yeah. not so for some reason I had them mixed up in my head that 
it was the same one. So maybe I was yep. thinking she is going to have a little bit of a bigger role, but not really. Yeah, no, that was that was it. So I feel bad. For Sorry, you. Kaylee. Poor Kaylee. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, well. Them's the um, so uh, Bev Mooney's phone call to the police station saying that Henry and Dale have gone hunting mm-hmm. down down at Curly or Mirkwood uh, and never came home. The, the deputies show up and tell the chief that, mm-hmm. which is interesting in and of itself. And then fast forward 20 minutes and there's a dead deer in the woods. And we discover that Henry and Dale had been hunting for deer, apparently shot a deer. And then along comes a Demogorgon. So and- you think that they shot the deer, the Demogorgon yeah. smelled the blood, showed up and thought, wait a second, I can eat better than this deer. Yep. And I'm going to eat Dale and Henry. It's actually kind of funny. We'll, we'll post a link to it on our on our social media stuff. There was a fan made film, a little short film of this. Shut of, up. Of Henry and Dale in in the woods, you know, going hunting. They shoot a deer. And, I love the internet. Oh, it's so great. And then it ends with, you don't see her, but it ends with a woman say, hi police station this is bev mooney i'm calling to let you know dale and henry never showed up last night i never you put know. it together i yeah. in my head i think i thought that it was just they went missing obviously they got eaten by the demogorgon but i never put it together that they were the ones that shot the deer i always thought the deer got hit by a car oh in all fairness well because that's what they say but then it, it, yeah the first time i saw it i'm like the whole bit with bev and henry and dale Mm-hmm. I completely forgot about because the next thing they talk about is Bob's Barb's car being found. Yes. So that I'm paying attention to. Well, and, and then, they also mentioned by the, yeah, by the time the deer comes around, I'm like, I don't even remember who it, but yeah, I'm watching it three or four times, you're like, wait a second, you kind of put pieces together. But yeah. Well, and I think they drop a port an important piece of information right here when they get back in the car because they talk about the chief being so paranoid. And he says, Do you think he's off his meds? Mm-hmm. So I think that's just to give a little more insight about how Hopper has been since he lost his daughter, since the divorce. Yeah. And we don't know the extent of it because the other guy says, no, I think he's just hanging out with Joyce Byers. Yeah. (laughs) But we do get the phone call in this episode when he calls um, his ex-wife. Yes. Um, And well, it starts with the shot and you see the newspaper article, the microfiche of, Mm -hmm. you know, Terry Ives suing. Uh, and then, then we have the call and he's playing with the the little blue bracelet, which we will get to eventually the blue bracelet that he's playing with, but pay attention, mm-hmm. pay attention to that. Oh, and, everybody knows about the blue bracelet. And then, like. um, well, there are some people that may be watching it for the first time. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he hears the baby, um, crying in the background. So that was, that was sad. I feel like, and this is totally off of, it has nothing to do with Hopper, but it just popped in my head. When L is messing up the compasses and they get to the junkyard mm-hmm. and Lucas is so mean to her and Lucas has not been kind to her this entire season. He's not nice to L at all. No. And it actually made me not like Lucas a lot in the first season. Oh, I love yeah. him now, but I oh, do not yeah. like he, him at he's all. He's got some redemption to do. Yeah. Yes. But I also notice how much, how angry and rude Mike is once she hurts lucas yeah because he turns around and screams at her what is wrong with you 
Yeah, and, I, I think that that's I mean, his loyalty is still mm-hmm. with, his, for, with his friends first. And yeah, he may have a crush on Al. And it but, just it, it's yeah. so hurtful how he says it, because she thought she was doing the right thing. She just didn't want anybody to get hurt. Right. And I don't think she has control over her powers. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, oh, Steve actually redeems himself. I know we started the douchebag of meter last week. Yeah. But I, I don't think he could have done any better than, than what he did with. I know. With and I, I think, well, obviously I'm biased because I've watched the whole series, but I much prefer Steve over Jonathan. Now, obviously I probably didn't at this point when I was first watching it, but overall. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I didn't come around on Steve. I mean, this, this was good. I mean, this, this episode was good for him, but. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think, know the I exact moment I came around on Steve. Well, yeah, but I think this maybe started it. Um, yes. Certainly, so it gave you a glimpse that he wasn't really just a total douchebag. And I feel like we right. say the word douchebag so many times in every episode. But... I know. <laughs> But we'll get to the douchebag meter in, yes. in a second. But do you want to do your? Are you? Do you have any more trivia? Or are you ready for your comment? Um, well, I, I want to talk a little bit about the the end scene when Nancy goes into the upside down, and, and I actually do too. First of all, why did Nancy think that was a good idea? Why did she see that and immediately think, "I'm going to crawl in this oozy, gross hole in a tree"? Uh, I I think she's just looking for desperate to look for. I think she's yeah, she's trying to find Barb. Yeah, I just want to say, Emily, my best friend. If she ever goes missing, I'm still probably not going to crawl into a a tree portal that looks like that. It just looks so menacing. Oh yeah, and I mean, I also think maybe as she goes down to look at it, she's not expecting there to be. A whole nother world there it's a tree you know but maybe. also she just i mean she just goes in with abandon it's it's just yeah. i'm crawling straight through and it's like pink stretchy spider web type things yeah and she just keeps going yeah. but that actually leads me to my next question is do is the demogorgon the one that i guess he has the power to just pop up wherever and then does he also have the power to just close these portals? Because it seems like Nancy's in there. He, Jonathan can hear her vaguely and the yeah. portal starts closing back up. Well, it's the same thing in Joyce's house. Cause the thing came through and then all of a sudden it's a regular wall with a big, huge hole in it that Lonnie has to nail up. Mm-hmm. So I think there's like some magical aspects to this show. <laughs> you, you, do you think that there might be some supernatural i think there might on be here okay. i don't think everything can be explained by science okay. so there is no demogorgon in real life is what I'm you're think, telling me i'm thinking maybe not <laughs> uh, well, what, I, thank god i can check yeah. that off my anxiety okay. list now, now we can sleep yes because we don't have things to worry to about, about. <laughs> demogorgons being real uh yeah one last thing and then we can get into you know all, our, all of our segments and everything like that so uh charlie heaton who plays jonathan was talking in the book and he's um if people don't know he's british um from leeds and has a very heavy british accent which may come as a surprise to some people but you know he does um so he was saying that he had his hardest time in the whole show shooting this scene in the woods when he was yelling for nancy because he said there was funnily enough one word during the first season that i could not say in an american accent guess what it was nancy nancy 
it ended up being a joke with the crew. The forest scene where Jonathan is running around the woods screaming Nancy. Uh, it was a night shoot that ran into the early hours of the morning, um, the book says. And to try to help him, the whole crew was chanting back Nancy in an emphatic American accent. And he says, I couldn't get it, which was hilarious. And if you listen to I, it, he, he does a good job. He does. Know. And now I'm trying to... Th- um- I'm trying to think about how someone who is British would say Nancy. 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 Oh, yeah. Nancy. <laughs> okay. So that's all I had. You want to move okay. on to our move on to our various segments. All right. Tell us your Colin moment from this episode. Okay, so real quick, and we'll get into this into the music too. Mm-hmm. But my Colin moment for this week is when um, Allegia, the New Order song, starts playing when they're getting ready for. Oh, don't shrug your shoulders because stay with me. <laughs> when they're getting ready for, for the funeral, and Allegia is playing, and Allegia um, for any '80s baby was like the key music in Pretty in Pink. Um, outside of Ducky's dance to was a try a little tenderness in the record store. Yeah. Uh, so towards the end of the movie, when Blaine is proving to be the douchebag that we all know he is, and Andy is walking into school, and she and and um, Steph is kind of leaning against his car, and then she goes into the school and she confronts Blaine outside his classroom, and then Ducky kind of attacks Blaine in the hallway, and they have a little fight and all that kind of stuff. Allegia is the song that's playing through all of that. Um, I'll have to hear it because I yeah. So, I mean, that was, as soon as I heard it in this episode, I'm like, where do I know this song from? Because I could, I I knew Mm -hmm. it. Uh, And then, you know, I finally looked it up and I'm like, oh, of course. I mean, I didn't know it was a and I didn't know it was New Order. I just thought it was, I think at the time, I probably thought it was just background music that, you know, whoever did the score for Pretty in Pink wrote. But, um, so that was, that was my Colin moment. I kind of flipped back into Pretty in Pink. Oh, yeah. um, When that happened. So... Uh, we can move on to our, our next little segment, which, which we all know is called where in the world is one location this week. Although I could, I could throw you some easy ones and say, NYU real fake. <laughs> no, too easy. I'll or, pass on this. or perhaps the North pole where, <laughs> where, where all magnets point to. Right. Okay. So if you want two easy points, I'll give you those two. Um, but the city of Wapaka, Wisconsin. Uh, which is featured on Dustin's green shirt as they're walking along the train tracks. It says Wapaka. I Wisconsin. am. Okay. So I'm, is there really a place in Wisconsin called Wapaka? Real. Good call. Good, good call. Absolutely real. It just sounds with, how would you say a Wisconian? Wisconsin, Wisconsin. (laughs) Yeah, it's about uh, a little over an hour west of Green Bay, due west of Green Bay, little town, little town of Wapaka. Uh, And we'll post this up on our socials too. I've actually found an article uh, with Kimberly Adams, uh, the costume designer, talking about how they happened to trip on this shirt and says they tried loads of vintage t-shirts on Gaten and the ones that felt right for his character went to legal for clearance. And from there, we built him a whole closet full of these t-shirts. There was no question that his character had to be the graphic t-shirt wearing kid. So they had to do multiples, obviously, because of all Mm -hmm. the dirt dirt and stunts that they do. So they took the original artwork and scanned it and had it printed on multiple t-shirts and then aged accordingly because they lived in Indiana. It felt right that he would have gone up and visited there with his family and gotten a t-shirt. And the artwork was so good that we had to use it. Do we ever know exactly where Hawkins is located in Indiana? 
Do we know if it's north, south, center? Nothing. Okay. I just didn't know. I mean, we we know it's, you know, within drive time of the city, which. Indianapolis. Could be Indianapolis, um, which is where Lonnie is because Jonathan drove out there. Oh, okay. I mean, it didn't take hours, I don't think. So it's somewhere, you know, maybe an hour from Indianapolis, maybe or something. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Okay. Moving on to music. Or Wait, no. Do... Oh, I have something for you this week. Okay. You're, you're always quizzing me. So I put together some homework for you, sir. Are you ready? Do you want to do some homework? I'll do we're some gonna, homework. We're going to call this section. Did you do your homework? You're late again. Yeah, I had to get catch up homework. So I've got four questions. Okay. Today. I just want to see how well you're paying attention to these episodes. Okay. All right. So the first question, it's pretty easy. We'll start out with an easy one. What color are the fireballs Will is drawing in the flashback during this episode? Well, had he had a red crayon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Presumably they would have been red. But since they end up looking like cabbages mm-hmm. being shot, the correct answer for this is green. Good call. Good, good call. All right, question number two. In this episode, Hopper wakes up and finds a listening device when he's all sweaty on the couch. Wakes up, goes looking for bugs in his house. Where does he find the listening device in his home? Can we just talk for a moment about how he tears his entire house apart? I mean, he's shredding the couch. He destroyed his stereo. He broke open his telephone. This is what I'm talking about. I don't even know where to look for listening bugs. I wouldn't even know. Well, can they just put them anywhere? They're generally in lights, which is where. Oh, okay. In in the overhead light. So that is, that is the answer for this. It was in the overhead light in his, in his den. But I I think generally bugs are like in phones Mm -hmm. because they want to bug your phone. Yes. And then in lights because you because who looks in a light right you know right so why is he so intent on shredding his couch cushions or behind picture frames i've seen that too behind picture frames. what are they connected to though do they just plug them in i just is, i i am very they're just wireless and they have to hit an antenna and and kind of okay open. i mean nowadays they're more advanced but i think back yeah. then they just had to kind of fit the antenna but that's a good question yeah in the, okay. in the overhead light good call good good call okay question number three when broaching the subject of alternate dimensions with Mr. Clark, Mike cites a TV series slash book and the author behind both. What is he citing? TV series slash, well, he talks about, what is it? Like Hugh, Hugh Everett's, oh, what's it called? Hugh Everett's uh, Many Worlds Interpretation or something. But he also talks about Cosmos, Carl Sagan's Cosmos, oh, which, is. Is a, which is a TV show. So- Cosmos. I'll go Cosmos. Good call. Good, good call. It is Carl Sagan and Cosmos. Woohoo. You are three for three. Okay. Final question. How many cans does Jonathan manage to hit when practicing with the revolver? Manage to hit? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Is that how it's worded, really? Yes. (laughs) Um, He hits a whopping zero cans though 
he was aiming between them. Yes, that's what he says. I was aiming right. between the cans. Right. Yes, that is correct. Good call. Good, good call. So I want to let everybody know we took these questions from Notes from the Upside Down, an unofficial guide to Stranger Things. It's a great book. Guy Adams wrote it. So that was Collins' homework for the week. Okay. I like that. I like having homework. That's good. Yeah, you did well. Okay. So music for this week, we got four songs. I'll kind of blow through them quickly. We already mentioned Elegia by New Order. That came out uh, May 13th, 1985. So it is an anachronistic song for Stranger Things, people. Next one is Green Desert by Tangerine Dream, which is the song that is playing uh, while Hopper is tearing his house apart. Uh, another anachronism on this one, because it didn't come out until January of 1986. But fun fact... It was actually recorded in 1973. So let's, maybe we give them a break. Maybe they had some sort of. Okay. I'll give them a half a point. Cause maybe they yes. had some kind of inside line mm-hmm. to Tangerine Dream that we mm-hmm. don't know about. So maybe they watched legend and couldn't get enough. So they could, thought. Could be. Third song, which we don't really hear, but we hear Steve sing is old time rock and roll by Bob Seger and the silver bullet band. <laughs> Came out in March of 1979, hit number 28 on the pop charts. And then following the release of Risky Business, which it was tied heavily to, and which is where every child of the 80s knows it from, Mm -hmm. uh, that came out in August of 1983, and they re-released it, uh, and it reached number 48. So it actually did better the first time around. (laughs) Last song is the closing credit song. It's Nocturnal Me by Echo and the Bunnymen. And good Lord of the four songs in this episode, this is our third anachronistic song came out in May of 1984. So those are your music selections for the week. You want to do a quick check-in with Steve and his douchebag meter Yeah, let's do it. It's because she's been dating that douchebag Steve Harrington. Yeah, she's smart, you douche. And you were a douchebag. Just like last week, Steve only has one scene. Um... And this one, I think he redeems himself wholeheartedly, uh, telling Nancy he's really sorry, even before he was threatened by the baseball bat. And he admits to being a total dick. And then he yeah. asks, how, asks if there's any news on Barb. So could he have handled that any better? Nope. So he couldn't. Douchebag I'm giving I'll give him a zero. zero. Yeah. He goes from an eight, eight to a zero in I one used... scene. Yeah. And... Maybe it's my high school girl type crush on Mr. Joe Keery, but it would have done the same. I mean, maybe, you know, yesterday he was a jerk and only worried about getting busted at the party by his parents. But this week, that dreamy hair and him so would, would you Would you have gone to the movies with him or would you have gone monster? Oh, hunting? no, I would have 100% have gone to the movies with him. Yeah. <laughs> Forget Jonathan. I'm going to the movies with Steve. Let's see. Go out into the woods late at night when it's dark with Jonathan and search for monsters or <laughs> go make out in a dark theater with Steve Harrington. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Let's wrap things up with our superlatives. Ooh. All right. Let's do best all around first. Okay. Who you got? I got Dustin. 
Ooh, excellent choice, my friend. I think I think this was his kind of episode to shine. And I'm I'm not the actor, though Gaten did a great job. Mm -hmm. I'm going MVP of this episode was Dustin Henderson. Uh, he was the one that came up with the whole veil of shadows thing. He was the one that came up with the whole compasses idea. He was the one that figured out that they were doubling back and tripping over themselves. He was the one that broke up the fight between Mike and Lucas and told him to just let Lucas go. I think this was Dustin's episode and he rocked it. It was good. I actually went with Joyce slash Winona Ryder this week. I love how she handled Lonnie once she realized he didn't even know where Jonathan wanted to go to school and he was only in it for the money and just she took no prisoners when she was going at him so yeah that that scene where she figures out that he was in it for mm -hmm. the money and she like, told him to get out I thought she was great and I could I could sit here every week and say Winona Ryder was I know movie. it's hard to not pick her yeah. but let's do best line okay so I had a hard time this week picking a best line not and no offense to anyone involved in the show. There weren't a ton of memorable lines this week. I didn't think, I agree. but my favorite one is when Hopper walks in to Joyce's house and he's telling her to be quiet because he, he knows that they're all being bugged and he just looks and he sees all of the Christmas lights and he goes, Oh <laughs> Jesus. That's a good line. Yeah. I like that. And I love how he comes in the door. It's like, don't, was he's like, mm -hmm. don't say anything or, or mm -hmm. stay quiet or whatever. Uh, so I went with, a, 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 it was a little bit of, a little bit of two lines when they were um, after the funeral, Dustin and Lucas were at the snack table and Lucas said, we're in mourning. <laughs> like it's supposed to be. And, yeah. and Dustin's response is, man, these aren't real Nilla wafers. So, so I love it. Their best friend is just, you know, just been buried. Right. Yeah. Really. They know like, better. These aren't real Neil wafers. So that was, that was good. Uh, most spirited. What'd you get? I went with Jennifer Hayes beret. Oh, a little beret. Well, Jennifer Hayes rocking the little eighties beret, right? I had a beret. You're right. Madonna wore berets. It. Banana yeah. Rama had berets. And let's not forget the raspberry beret, right? Oh, yes. Absolutely. I actually bought my beret from limited too. So it might've been in the nineties, but I definitely had a beret. But yeah, I, th I thought that just kind of screamed eighties. Yeah. It, in a series when we're getting so used to eighties costumes mm -hmm. and everything. That was a, I like that. That was a nice twist. I actually just went with Steve's choice for movie viewing with all the right moves. Yes. It's just such a classic eighties movie. Tom Cruise playing football. Can't go wrong with that, right? Nope. You can't. Okay, strangest, most, 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 most strangest, <laughs> most stranger, most stranger. I actually went with Nancy choosing to, to go into the pink ooze in the tree, making the strange decision to do that. Exactly. That's what, <laughs> that was really what I thought. Like, this is a weird decision. I would never do yeah. this, but also, you know, the ensuing scene that she sees when she gets in there with the Demogorgon just chowing down on some baby deer. deer. Or maybe some leftover Dale and Henry there too. Might maybe. We didn't yeah. get a close look at it. Yeah. Uh, mine was right before that when the deer gets sucked into or grabbed and pulled yeah. into the tree. Oh God, that still freaks me out. That's such a... You just, you're not uh, expecting it. No. I mean, you're expecting the shot coming from mm -hmm. Jonathan and you're like, where's the shot? Where's the oh. shot? <laughs> And there's like, yes. the, and the deer makes a little sound. Oh, I hate like it. I, I have to, oh, I, yeah. to be yeah. totally transparent. I fast forwarded that part. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I think that, I think that does it. 
All right. That does it for this week. Talking about Stranger Things season one, episode five, The Flea and the Acrobat. If you have any questions or superlatives that you want to offer up, you can always email us at scoopsahoypod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Scoops Ahoy Pod. Next week, we'll be discussing season one, episode six, The Monster. We're getting close to the end. We've only got eight episodes. So if you guys are enjoying this podcast, you can always leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because that is will help us get in front of other potential listeners. So I want to thank you guys for listening and I hope you tune in next time. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. Stranger Things audio clips and official score are the property of Netflix. Incidental music by Blue Mount Score from Pixabay.